Good morning. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 13, the first three verses. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So to borrow the words from Jeremiah the prophet, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. This message has been burning within my bones, church family. What we're about to dive into in Acts chapter 13 has been something personally that has been deeply impactful for me. So when you hear the words that come out of my mouth, know that they don't come out as a man who has everything all together, but as a man who deeply desires the will of God. And so as we dive into Acts 13, let's set some trajectory for us before we dive into what the Spirit is inviting us into. So we're going to be camping out in the first three verses of Acts 13. Uh, So don't freak out about having to flip a bunch of pages. You can hang out there. This is where we're going to be. Um, These first three verses are as what Bible scholars call the beginning of Paul's first of three missionary journeys. And Luke here in Acts will eventually describe all the different places um, and people that Paul and Barnabas meet. They eventually split, but hang on, we'll get to that in future weeks. But in Acts 13 is the beginning of Paul being sent out to go and spread the gospel of Jesus, which I know we're only going to be in three verses, and this chapter is dense with beautiful movements of God, and I would encourage you later today to read the rest of the chapter on your own time, but for this morning, we're just going to camp out in the first three verses because I believe what Luke is describing here in the first three verses of this passage are instrumental for us to consider as a church family that desires to be sanctified for the work of God in our city, county, and region. Let's pray. God, we once again just thank you for who you are. Thank you that that you sent your son Jesus to live the life we couldn't, to die the death that we deserve, and to raise again three days later so that we could have life and have life to the full. And thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave us here as orphans, but that you sent us your Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our counselor, our source of power and strength that when we are weak, that the spirit in us is strong. And thank you that you didn't leave us here to try to figure out what life with you looked like, but that you have given us a mission, that you've given us a task to accomplish and things to do here on earth as it is in heaven. And as we look to your word, God, I pray that you would speak so clearly to us in this room. This space is holy ground, God. Use it as you see fit. Um, Would we be good listeners, but even better doers of your word? And we pray these things in your sweet, precious, and holy name. Amen. All right, so let's get to it. 
So in Acts chapter 13, we see a three-piece recipe for what a missional church looks like. Missional meaning the people who are so in line with God and hear from God about what God has for our context here that we go out beyond these walls and to do the work that God has called us to do. And in these three verses, we have three special ingredients. We have diversity and unity, the disciplines, and set them free. Diversity and unity, the disciplines, and set them free. Let's look at verse one for a second again. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. We're gonna pause there for a second because the first diversity and unity that we see in this passage is a diversity and unity within the spiritual gifts. But before we dive into that, I think we need to just be very clear about what the phrase in the church means. Because for some of us in this room, we have different ideas or contexts about what the church is, what the church functions, what the church looks like. The word church here, which is the Greek word ekklesia, and we'll get to more of the weeds of this Greek word later, but this word ekklesia means the gathering of citizens called out from their homes into a public place. But let's make this abundantly clear, church family, that the ecclesia is wherever citizens of heaven gather, whether that's in the marketplace, the workplace, the sports field, or anywhere in between. When God's people who are citizens of heaven gather, church is happening. Church isn't just you and a podcast. Church is when the God's people gather together and it's the specific gathering when we come here for communal worship, sacrament, and for edification. So church is, yes, if you're on the ball field with other believers, church happens there. Praise God. Church also happens here when God's people gather to worship our God and to lay ourselves down and to ultimately come together as the body for the edification of those around us. We'll get more to that in a second, so hang on to those thoughts. We must... Church family, we must gather as a church family. Hear this loud and clear. You cannot accept Jesus and reject the church. Jesus calls the church his bride, and many Christians are trying to divorce what Jesus chose to marry in covenantal love. Jesus laid down his life and he died for us in covenantal love. If you remember Dave and Pam talking about covenantal love last week over communion, Jesus died for us. He is our bridegroom. And so many Christians, especially in America, have chosen to divorce what God married. So before we begin, we must understand that in the church means when God's people gather and we must gather church family. This is why when we come together here on a Sunday morning, it's so important. This is why small group is so important. It's why gathering believers in your home around a meal is so important. We're called to be together. So in the church at Antioch, there is a diversity of giftings. We see here this list of five individuals that there are prophets and teachers. Most likely there were more, but for the sake of Luke's recording here, there's two gifts. But God, through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, has bestowed 
bestowed upon each and every one of us, the person next to you, the person behind you, myself, those downstairs that are serving, and those who aren't with us this morning. We all have a unique set of giftings and capabilities that our church family needs, or as Paul calls in 1 Corinthians, the body. And that even as you look around and as I look out, I see so many people who through the spirit of God within them have a particular set of giftings and capabilities and callings that God has placed on your life that are not for you, but are for us as the church. Your gifts are not a resume booster in the kingdom of God. Your gifts are here to serve which is also why it is a disservice when we come here into the church gathering and assume that the guy with the headset is the most gifted in the room. If you have entrusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit within you and he has given you gifts and capabilities to be able to serve. And not one gift is greater than the other. Though it has one source, one gift is not greater than the other. And here in the church, we have a diversity of giftings. Not all of them were prophets. Not all of them were teachers. Not all of them were administrators, though I need the administrators in my life. Praise be to God for you if that is your gift. But we need you. As the gathering, we need you to first engage in the journey of self-discovery, being aware and operating in the gifts which the Holy Spirit has given you. The church at her best is when we are all serving each other in our community with our giftings. Let's continue into verse one and let's get into the list because beyond just the diversity in giftings, we also have a second set of diversity and that is a diversity in ethnicity and culture and background. Let's continue reading in Verse one, looking at this list of men, we have Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we have five individuals, and often when it comes to lists or genealogies, it's really easy because we want like the little nugget to put on our like little coffee mug in order for us to be like spiritually reinvigorated. But yet in this list, there's so much to look at. And guess what? We're going to look at it this morning. So the list is going to be behind me. So first we have Barnabas who is a Jewish man from Cyprus, which is an island just off the coast. And if you look forward into verse four, they actually visit his hometown. So that's beautiful. But Barnabas is from Cyprus. And then we have Simeon, who is called Niger. Niger in the Greek means black. And Simeon is also a Roman name. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is a city in Libya, which is in North Africa. And this one was really cool. Manan, who is a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That phrase, close friend in the Greek, means brought up with. Which also, it's really important if you do like blueletterbible.org and you have like that along with your Bible study. And as you begin to dive into the original language, you see some depth and beauty and goodness from God's word. So that's why I love whenever I preach to be able to bring the Greek to us. I'm not expecting you to nerd out as much as I do, but 
This is beautiful. This phrase brought up with, most scholars believe this term to describe Manan actually implied that he was a foster brother to Herod. Not just merely like a buddy who he like saw in the high school, like hallway or whatever, but more likely than not, they were foster brothers. Grown up in the same home as Herod the Tetrarch. Which what a picture we have here, church family, of Manan and Herod the Tetrarch in the same home. One of the brothers would forever be remembered as a Christian leader in the missional church, while the other would be remembered for his execution of John the Baptist and in the trial of Jesus. So we have Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. And then we have Saul, the former Pharisee born in Tarsus. So if you notice just by their ethnicity and their background, these men are diverse. And it's easy for us to see the diversity in their midst, their different backgrounds, ethnicities, giftings. But can I tell you something? What brought them together wasn't just the fact that they wanted to look diverse or be diverse, but the thing that brought them together, the thing that unified them was stronger than what the world would try to separate them. They were unified under the banner and the name of Jesus. And church family, that is the great unifier in our midst. We all come in here with different church backgrounds, we come in here with different life circumstances, different upbringings, different family dynamics, different backgrounds of work, social class, whatever. But the church is meant to be diverse, but ultimately meant to be unified. And it's around the name of Jesus. And so connection, if we desire to be faithful to God's calling, then may we now begin to prepare ourselves to become agents of unity in the midst of a world that is seeking to divide. We are living in some of the most divisive times in human history, and we are called to be the agents of unity under the banner of Jesus. Let's move into verse two. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The second point, so first, diversity and unity. Second, the disciplines. Notice, as they were worshiping, once again, let's bring in the Greek. That phrase literally means to minister to the Lord. Because whenever we see worshiping the Lord, we think like there's a great worship set, great music, and they like lifted their hands and that meant they were worshiping the Lord. But literally this phrase means to minister to the Lord. This phrase minister to the Lord is where we get the English word liturgy. And this word means to assume an office which must be administered, catch this, at one's own expense that to minister to the Lord, to worship the Lord, to be a follower of Jesus, we do so at our own expense. 
which means when we gather here together in this place, when we serve the Lord and serve the church, we don't do so just so my little old cup could be filled. We lay ourselves down for the sake of those around us. And the way that we do that personally and corporately is through the disciplines, through the spiritual practices. If you remember last year, we went through a whole list of different disciplines like Bible reading, fellowship, prayer, silence and solitude, feasting, fasting, confession, celebration, worship, just to name a few. But those disciplines that we have are our way to offer our entire life, our body, which by the way, just on a side tangent here, do you know that your body can come into play when it comes to your devotion to God? the way that you treat your body, the way that you engage with your body, which is why during worship to lift your hands is actually a way of laying ourselves down before Jesus and lifting our hands saying, yes, in this posture, God, you are good. You are praiseworthy. With our bodies, we engage in the discipline of fasting because we are rejecting our body's desires in order to have God be our ultimate desire. We engage with relationship with God through our body, through our soul, through Bible reading and prayer, and through our mind, through Bible study and learning more about God. And all of those come together in a beautiful mess, but a glorious and a beautiful one where we devote ourselves wholly to God, laying ourselves down so he could fill us up so then we could go out. We do so through the disciplines which is why it's important to be in the word of God. It's important to pray. It's important to fast, which once again, fasting here, they're doing. And also, if you look back at the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter six, Jesus in his most influential teaching mentions three disciplines. He talked about prayer, almsgiving or giving to the poor and fasting. Those were the three disciplines Jesus already assumed that his followers were doing. And it was only a few centuries earlier that the church said, ah, you know what, food's pretty good. Let's get fasting and let's just have the guy preach and then we sit and just receive and then go about our merry way. That it was only recently that the church stopped fasting. And that fasting is one of the most powerful disciplines that we can engage with to empty ourselves of our fleshly desires and for that to be replaced with good godly desires. And that often throughout the narrative of scripture and throughout church history, it is engaging with a regular discipline of fasting that God begins to move and work in power. But also notice that it's not the disciplines that empower, speak and move like fasting didn't speak to the assembly, but that once again, disciplines are the doorframe by which we walk through in order to ultimately get to the presence of God. Our end isn't the Bible. Our end isn't our prayer. Our end isn't emptying our stomachs. Our end isn't the silence and solitude or feasting or fellowship. The end isn't those things. The end is Jesus. We don't just accrue knowledge for ourselves, we get Jesus. We pray because on the other end is Jesus. And these men, as they are ministering to the Lord, they're not doing so because they have this special gift and they need to do it because they have a certain job. They're doing it because they want Jesus. 
And as they are pursuing Jesus through the disciplines, as they are engaging in prayer and worship and fasting, that on the other end of that, they weren't expecting a word from the Holy Spirit. They were just expecting to pursue the presence of God. And as they pursued the presence of God, the Holy Spirit spoke. And also, if you are wondering what the next step in your life is, and you're like, God, what am I gonna do? and then you just go about your merry way and not engage with the disciplines? God speaks most clearly through us engaging with the disciplines. Because by engaging in those, we create room for the spirit to fill, to move, and to speak. And here in this story, the Holy Spirit speaks. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. To set apart, meaning in that assembly, Holy Spirit spoke to set apart Saul and Barnabas, which is to distinguish, to ordain, to set boundaries around them. So God, through the Holy Spirit, setting apart Paul and Barnabas, notice, notice here, set apart for me. The call of God on your life is not for you. The call of God on your life is for him. Set apart for God. Saul and Barnabas, for the, for the work which God has called them to. And they heard crystal clear from God as they were engaging in prayer and worship and fasting. We must clear room for the Holy Spirit to speak and move. So let's continue on into verse three and we arrive at our final ingredient. We have diversity and unity, the disciplines, and this is the fun one, set them free. Verse three, let's read it together. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Also notice once again, then after they had fasted and prayed, they continued engaging in the disciplines. They didn't hear from God and say, oh, we're forgetting all of that and let's just go after the word. They're engaged with the presence of God continually. And as they are doing that, then they lay hands and set them free. Because once again, the Greek, instead of they sent them off, the Greek phrase literally means to set them free. So this church at Antioch, who had enjoyed the fellowship of Saul and Barnabas, had spent time, tears of joy, tears of sorrow. They set them free for the work to which God had called them to. And that is what we are called as a church, to be a church that sets people free to do the will of God. Because when you set something free, you don't hold on to it with one hand. To set free means you open your hands and you say, go do the work that God has called you to. And I'm not unaware. I know that this church has been a missional church and ascending church for a while. We've had people in our midst who have gone off to serve the Lord elsewhere We've had people leave and go serve at other churches. And we have done so, 
I would say fairly well. So don't hear this as condemnation. This is a good job. Let's keep going. And I know the past few years have been extremely hard. And a lot of our efforts have been focused here on maintaining what we have here and not trying to lose people. But what if in this next season, we continue to set people free for the gospel work that God is calling them to do? And I know that idea of setting people free has varying responses deep within us. One of those is excitement, like God is on the move, the spirit is speaking, God is calling people into the mission field to be a light in the darkness. And there's some of us here that are so amped for that and let's just get a commissioning service today and we're gonna send people out and we're gonna celebrate and then we're gonna have a potluck, except Jordan's not here and he's the guy that loves potluck. So we'll make it actually, no, Mother's Day's next week. We'll set a potluck sometime. But there are some of us that love the missional work of God and we love hearing stories of what God is doing and we're the ones that are excited about all of that. And then there's some of us that experience sadness and grief when people are set free to do the gospel work because they've been a part of us for a while and we have memories and we love being with them. And when they're sent off to good gospel work, we're like, God, why? I know you're good and sovereign, but I, I kind of like their butt in that pew. And then some of us, some of us have a Jonah response. And when we hear God move and speak, we run the other way. Because if God is calling us to lay ourselves down, our preferences down, our comfort down for the sake of serving the Lord, some of us will run the exact opposite way. That God, I ain't doing that. You don't know what part of town that's in. You don't know the people that you're calling me to. God, you don't understand. I'm gonna go back over here. But needless to say, when we open ourselves to the work of God, that God ultimately is good and has our best interest in mind, even if it means we set people free. I had mentioned earlier about the word ekklesia. Let's dive a little bit deeper into it. The Greek word ekklesia in the New Testament is a word to convey the concept of the church, but it's a compound word derived from the word kaleo and ek, which kaleo means to call and ek means out from. And when that compound word comes together, it literally in the noun form means the called out ones. Notice the direction, the called out ones. That's us, the church, the ones who are called out, never meant to just be in here and to consume Bible study and podcasts and sermons, to pray safe prayers, to seal ourselves off from the world around us because we get our fire insurance and we're not going to that place and we're going to this place. We are the ones who are called to be set free. We are the ones that are called out. We always have been and we always will be a training ground for Christians. The church should more practically be more like Planet Fitness than Culver's. I'll say that one more time for the people in the back. I'm kidding, y'all are listening, good job. The church should practically be more like Planet Fitness than Culver's. We come in here expecting to consume 
and I got your little like now $18 deluxe meal or whatever because Culver's is about more expensive than like Beef House. But we're expecting whoever is singing here and whoever's praying here and whoever's got the head mic here to give you this thing on a platter and for you to be able to eat and consume and to just be really happy with the meal that you've been given. But what if the church wasn't meant to be that? What if it was meant to be more like Planet Fitness where we come together and we engage in the disciplines together, we pray together, we seek the face of God together, we exercise our spiritual muscles, we use spiritual tools and we come together as the body and we build up the body, not just so we can flex in a mirror, but so we can go out into the world and tell them about the goodness of God. It's time that we quit treating church like a fast food restaurant. It's about time that we come to church, being ready to be built up to be the church, sent out on mission to be a light in the darkness. Y'all, Jesus is coming back soon. If you don't believe me, Jesus preached it while he was on the earth. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. The time is short. It's time that we quit playing games. And it's time that we start being the church that this would be a training ground for us as followers of Jesus to be sent out into a world that is desperately yearning for the hope that we have. It's time, church, to be who God has called us to be, to be ones who are set free. Be set free to go and make disciples to be his witnesses, to preach the good news, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to seek justice, to love mercy, to stay in step with the Spirit. And some of us in this room I know are scared to be set free. Because like Elsa said, you're going into the unknown into the unknown. There's so many spiritual like alignments with frozen. That's for a different sermon anyways. But back on track. But oftentimes we can be afraid to go. But yet can I just tell you church that fear is a tool of the enemy to paralyze spirit-filled men and women? 1 John says that perfect love casts out fear. And that if you are abiding in the love of Jesus, that fear must leave. You get the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is fear. And so many of us are living in fear and not in love. And as we abide in the vine and receive his love, that we wouldn't be gripped by fear because fear is from the enemy. And we reject the work of the enemy because Jesus' work on the cross and defeating the grave is more than enough. And we sometimes still love to cling on to that little bit of fear because it feels comfortable and I can be safe, but the enemy wants you to be safe. And it's time that the enemy starts getting punched in the mouth by some spirit-filled people. So, this is how we're going to end our time together. Instead of just putting a bow on a little sermon and having us pray, sing another song, and move on. Y'all ready? We're going to set some people free today. We're going to set some of you free to do the work that God has called you to do. 
This is not the time to step back and to be timid. This is not the time to be fearful, but the God who created the universe created you and set you apart for a work that God has called you to for your good and for his glory, for this city, for this community, and for our world. And it's time that we set some of us free. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna name some various callings that God might place on your life. Whether it's something you're walking in now or you feel called to in the future. And if what I say applies to you, I, I know you're gonna have to like move just a tad, but if what I say applies to you, I would love for you to stand up. And when that happens, if you see someone around you that is standing up, if it is comfortable with them, if you could lay a hand on their shoulder, lay it on their back, and we're gonna commission and like what was exemplified in Acts chapter 13, that they laid hands on them and sent them off, that we're gonna do so and lay hands on people and set them free to do the work that God has called them to. So that means you might have to shuffle and move when someone stands, that's okay. We're gonna engage our body discipline in the work that God's called us to, which is to send people off. So first up, if you are a homemaker or a stay-at-home mom, if you could stand up for us, because we're going to lay a hand on you and pray for you. And as you see people stand up, if you don't mind moving, laying a hand on some of these moms, or extend a hand if they're really, really far away, extend a hand backwards, whatever it is, come, come on, y'all. We got some moms that are standing up. Let's pray for them, because we believe that they are called to the home to raise up good, godly children in the name of Jesus. All right, let's pray. Thank you, God, for those who are standing. Thank you for this holy and beautiful calling you have placed on these image bearers. Thank you that you are a God who sees and knows and loves the unseen work done by those standing. Remind them of your unfailing love, your faithfulness in every season, and give them wisdom and discernment as they seek to point those in their homes towards your goodness. Use these for the work which you have called them to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So next up, we have a few of these, so keep your walking shoes on. Next up, if you own a business or are a manager within a business, if you could stand. Great, now once again, church, let's move and lay some hands on some people, and we're going to pray for the business owners and the workers. We praise you and thank you, God, for those who have sought to bless our community through owning, running, and working a business. May you bless their hands and their feet as they partner with you in making our community a place of flourishing and blessing. 
May their business be a place where others sense that they are on holy ground because you are there and you are in them. Use these men and women and businesses represented here in this place to bring glory and honor to you. In your name we pray, amen. So next up, we have kind of two different categories. We'll combine it together. Um, But next, we have the empty nesters or the retired. So if you are an empty nester or you are retired, if you are able, please stand. Not tired, retired. (laughs) Or both. And if I can just be transparent for a second, when I thought of this category, this is the one that probably brought the most tears to my eyes. Because you are seen, you're loved, and though you might be out of the workforce or not actively raising kids, that God loves you and cares about you and sees you and knows you and loves you so much. So let's pray, God, We honor and bless those that have parented and worked for your glory. Thank you that they are in our midst as a beautiful example of faithfulness, love, and endurance. Bless them, O God. Open up the heavens upon them. Fill their homes, minds, and hearts with your presence. And may you lead them to pass on their faith, wisdom, and life lessons onto the coming generations for your kingdom, for your honor, and for your glory. And it's in your name we pray, amen. A few more, I promise. Next up, we have the teachers, the coaches, or if you work in a local school. If you are a teacher, a coach, or work in the local school, if you could stand for me. Got a good amount of y'all, I love this. I also love the like jumping between pews. This is great. Don't tell your kids. Let's pray. God, thank you for the educators, the coaches, and the workers in our local schools. Thank you for their calling to educate and invest in the next generation. I pray that you fill them with discernment, endurance, strength, and love. May the subject they teach, the sport they coach, the tasks they perform to be a sacrificial love offering unto you. And may those in their classrooms, on their teams, and in their work environments see Jesus in them, the hope of glory. And we pray these things in your name, amen. Next, we're gonna get some young legs to stand. If you are a student in college, high school, or junior high, or elementary school, I got your back, Lawson. 
if you are a student in elementary school, junior high, high school, or college, please stand or remain where you are. We know you. This was another one that brought some good, happy tears to my face since I minister with and work alongside these amazing people. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the students in the room. Thank you for the next generation. May you walk with them in their hallways. May you fill their minds and hearts in the classroom and empower them to be your witnesses. May you shine your light so brightly through these students. And may the places where their feet touch experience revival and renewal for your kingdom, for your honor, and for your glory alone. May our schools be changed by the God that lives in them. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, you can go back to your seats. This one is going to be hopefully decently easy. The last one we have for you. If you can hear my voice, please stand with us. So that means everybody. And if you don't mind, if someone is next to you and you want to put a hand on their shoulder, you're more than welcome to do that. I love that like these guys were the first ones to do that. Love. Anyways, if you hear, let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are not a God of accidents. You have led each person to be standing here for their good and for your glory. Empower and lead us, O Holy Spirit, to be your witnesses wherever we go. Open doors for us that no man can shut. Give us the words to say, discernment in our actions, and boldness to move as you so direct us. God, we individually and as a church are first and foremost yours. Lead and guide us to be your ambassadors in Vermilion County as it is in heaven. And it is in the mighty, beautiful, and sovereign name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So before we go, we have a song for you that'll be played in the background. You can be seated, but we have a song for you. Um, pay close attention to the words because this song is, has been my prayer for us as we go as the ones who are set free to do the gospel work, to be the hands and feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus.